Well, it's a blessing to be here this morning. I feel like a guest speaker in my own church. I don't know how this happens. But the um, Lord's doing a lot of neat things uh, out on the mission field, and uh, it's always a blessing to be able to go and, and uh, see what God's doing in other parts of the world. And so uh, I'm really glad you're here today. And if you uh, have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open to the book of Luke. This is Palm Sunday, and this is a very special day in the Bible, because a lot of biblical prophecy spoke about this particular day. As well, next week, we have resurrection morning, commonly called Easter. Well, this is where Jesus, this week, died on the cross, rose from the dead. The Bible is all about that. But this is also interesting, because this ties in today with what's going on in the world. And so, again, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, we're going to talk about Jesus making his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. Abraham, God selected out thousands of years before and said, Abraham, of you, I'm going to make a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we know that God established the nation of Israel. And though Israel never truly followed God, God always worked with them. That's real great help and encouragement to me. I know sometimes in my Christian life when I've gone sideways, even though I may have given up on God for a period of time, God never gave up on me. And the Bible says his invisible Holy Spirit goes out and calls us back to himself, convicts us by his Holy Spirit, letting us know you're on the wrong road. Get back on the right road because that's where you're really going to be happy. You see, God knows more about life than we do. I, I pray you understand that today. That's why when the Bible talks about there are certain things, lifestyles, things we do that might bring a thrill for a season, but in the long run, it doesn't bring any lasting peace in your life. And this is one of the things that God does in his word is tell us what is right. You know, everybody goes somewhere for uh, knowledge or information or whatever. Some people go to, you know, the... uh, the internet, some people go to Ann Landers, some people go to other uh, friends, some people go to uh, their their education. But all those things may not necessarily be telling you the truth. And it can bring you to the wrong conclusion. Nation of Israel went after a lot of bad ideas. And they ended up in slavery. They ended up being finally carried away captive to a land called Babylon. Israel, Jerusalem, destroyed. And there was a young man named Daniel. At the same time, some of you that have studied your Bibles, you know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace. Well, these were all young men that were carried away from Israel when it was conquered, and they were in Babylon. And Daniel knew, because he loved God, all the promises that were made to the nation of Israel, that through you all the nations of the world would be blessed. But now how can that be? Israel is burnt and destroyed. And the Bible tells us in the first part of Daniel chapter 9 that he was reminiscing about all the promises that God made to Israel, but now gone. 
How could it ever be? And the Lord spoke to Daniel concerning the restoration of the nation of Israel. Now we know it was to be destroyed again. We're going to read about that in just a few minutes. But again, the Bible says it will be restored again. And friends, we see that today in this little tiny nation of Israel. The Bible says will become a a sore spot to the whole world. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask you that as we read these words, that we understand that Palm Sunday was such a special day. It was their day of salvation. And Father, I pray for every person listening. Today is their day for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we pick up the story in Luke 19, starting in verse 29. And so you can follow along. He says, and when Jesus, it says, and it came to pass when he came near Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you. And when you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose him and bring him to me. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosening him? You shall say to him, because the Lord has need of him. So those two were sent, departed, and found it just as he had said to them. And as they were loosening the colt, the owner said to them, why are you loosening my coat? Colt. Uh, it'd be like somebody saying, why are you stealing my Corvette? You know what I mean? You know, uh, you're out there, the donkey's tied up, and now somebody's out there, um, you know, cutting the catalytic converter. I'm sorry. They, they were just taking and, and stealing the colt. Why are you doing this? And they said just what Jesus said. And they said, because the Lord has need of him. Friends, this is a real important principle here. That when you operate under divine operation and instruction of God, God will provide everything that you need. Now, I think this is interesting. This is over a donkey. And he said, go over the master. If anybody asks you, say the master has need of him. Listen, there's going to be things in your life, challenges, even by God, that are going to seem impossible. But always remember, where God guides, God provides. It's a principle that is all the way through his word, that the Bible says, those that know the Lord, those that follow him, God supplies all of his needs according to his riches and glory. There's some kind of crazy doctrine out there right now, circulating even within the Christian church that says, well, whatever you want, you just use your magic faith words and you get it. Well, that's not really what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches predicated upon you being in God's will, and that's what God's called you to do. Now, how do we know what God's called us to do? I think that's a good question, and I think it's a fair question. How do I know what God wants me to do? First of all, As we've shared in the past, when you see something out of the ordinary, look for God. Because when you see something out of the ordinary, first of all, the Holy Spirit has prompted your conscience to notice, hey, that's something you don't see every day. Number two, because you've noticed it, you become involved in it, 
And then God supplies what you need to be able to minister that. You know, think all the way through the Bible. Those things that were like that. Whether it was Noah building the ark. People walking by. The Bible says he, he worked on this ark for a hundred ye- over a hundred years. But that's something you don't see every day. But when finally all the animals, two by two, started getting on the ark, that's something else you don't see every day. Interesting, the Bible says that God closed the door. Do you realize anybody living on the earth at the time of Noah could have got on the ark as well if they would have just walked up the ramp? But they fail to interpret the data at hand. I think God gets our attention of what he wants us to do, first of all, through prayer. Second of all, through occurrences and things that we haven't seen before. Things that don't fit. You walk into a store. You look around the store. Somebody's over in the corner crying. That's something you don't see every day. Maybe it'd be that God would have you walk up and ask the person, "Um, why are you crying? And just see what God will do. You see, when we pray and we say and we call ourselves Christians and we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is being done in heaven. The problem is, friends, it ain't being done here on this earth. Have you seen the newspapers lately? Pretty far from anything that resembles the kingdom of heaven. God uses us. You know, man comes up with his own solutions to the problems. Well, we're going to invent the United Nations. We're going to pour billions of dollars into the United Nations. So no more war. Get a piece of chance. And what happens? Did it work? Is there any stopping Russia right now? Everybody's scared if you try to stop Russia, you're going to have, you're going to wake up in the morning with a nuclear warhead down your capital. And you think about it for a minute. What's going to stop Russia? Really, we don't have anything to stop Russia. Well, we have the United Nations. We have sanctions. You sanction, if nations sanctioned Russia, they'll conquer the nation and take what they got. Friends, we're not in a normal world. I want to tell you, God wants to use every one of us. I tell a lot of people, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I'll get right with God when I'm in the hospital and I got all those tubes in me and I I hear the boop, 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 and I'll just lay there and and, and, and my last breath, I'll go, okay, God, accept you, my Savior, amen. (laughs) You know what? God's got something for you to do today. You can lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven right now. This is something Jesus compelled those that would listen to him, his disciples and others. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Do you realize there's a world coming? This one's passing away. And you can make a heavenly investment in eternity. How do I do that? How do I be about my father's business? Pray, look for things out of the ordinary. Somebody crying in a corner. Somewhere where I can be of assistance. Something that went, somebody's next door neighbor with their weeds all overgrown in their yard. You knock on the door. You don't say, hey, I'm calling the city uh, weed and pest control to come down here. And No, go over and say, hey, would it be all right if I mowed your lawn? 
You see, all of a sudden, you become involved in their life. You care. Do you know, I remember back, and some of you that are older, you remember back in the late 60s, early 70s. Now, I realize the world's love was not the love that we need. Because remember the Beatles saying, all you need is love, and then they broke up and sued each other. I don't want that kind of love. But the love that I do need, though, and what attracted people was that of caring. And I find today that we as Christians can be the example to care and help and bless. But if I'm self-centered, I won't notice somebody crying. I won't notice somebody that's hurting. I won't notice the lawn next door. I won't notice those things because I want to be. When God calls you, he will provide what you need to do the job. Go over to the town opposite you. You're going to find a donkey tied. Loose him and bring him to me. And if anybody asks, why are you doing this? Say, the master has need of him. Well, that's exactly what happened. Now, interestingly enough, in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 9, it says, Behold, your king cometh, lowly, riding on a donkey. Not on a white stallion exemplifying power, but lonely riding on a donkey. You see, this day, this Palm Sunday was not just the day they laid palm branches down and they did that, but it was much more than that. Palm Sunday was their day of truly, if they would have recognized it, coronating Jesus Christ as King of Israel. But they missed it. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. So they brought the donkey to Jesus, verse 35. And they threw on their own garments on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. As they went, they spread their clothes on the road. By the way, what they spread before Jesus is what they had. I think that's a good thing. You know, a lot of times we'll come up with an excuse. Well, I'll I'll honor the king when I get this or I get that. They just pulled their clothes off and laid them on the They were honoring Christ with what they had. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice with all the mighty works that they had seen singing, Hosanna, literally, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Well, some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep quiet, these very stones would immediately cry out. It's interesting, the Bible says that if they were to keep quiet, the very stones would cry out. Why would stones cry out on a particular day as Jesus is going into the city of Jerusalem? Because it was their day, the day that was predicted by God, this was their coronation day. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it saying, if you'd known, even you, especially, and here it is, in this your day, the things that belong to your peace, but now they're hid from your eyes. 
For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children with you to the ground. For they would not leave you leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus held them accountable for not recognizing this day. Well, what day was it? Jesus is up at the top of the Mount of Olives. He's getting ready to descend into this, uh, the city of Jerusalem. And he said, this day, peace belongs to you, but you don't see it. This thy day, it was their day of salvation. Well, how were they to know? Did Jesus hold them accountable for something they had no way of knowing? No, going back to the book of Daniel. Chapter 9, Daniel is weeping over his nation that's burned and destroyed. And God speaks to Daniel and he said, Seventy-sevens have been determined upon the nation of Israel till all things are completed. And he says, 69 years, which the Babylonian calendar was predicated upon a 360-day year. They partied the other five days of the year out. But a 360-day year, which came down to 173,880 days. Now, what's weird is it says from the time the commandment goes forth from the king to the coming of the Messiah, the prince will be 69 seven year periods of time. April, uh, uh, March 14th, 448 B.C., Artaxerxes, the king, gave the command to Nehemiah, go restore the city. The clock started. Exactly 173,880 days later, on April 6th, 32 AD, Jesus makes his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. It was this, their day of salvation. And they cut Messiah off. In fact, that's what the book of Daniel says. They'll cut Messiah off. And the clock stopped. There's a seven-year period of time in which God will deal with the nation of Israel. Now, we know it as the tribulation period. This is why all of this is relevant for today. Friends, there's not really one thing you can read in the Bible that isn't in some way relevant for us today. It isn't just a big black book used to store $2 bills and locks of baby hairs that sit on your shelf. But everything about the Bible is relevant for us now. There's a seven-year period of time getting ready to start in which God will deal with the nation of Israel one last and final time. All things then will be completed. Jesus will set up his thousand year reign here on this earth. For the first time, men will have, women will have perfect food, perfect government, perfect environment. And God will deal with his nation of Israel this final seven year period of time. It was their day of salvation. And they rejected it. Now, friends, this is why it's so important. We don't want to reject what God wants to do in our lives today. Do you realize how valuable you are as a human being to the kingdom of heaven? 
That God did not just save you to set, but he saved you to be his hands, to be his feet. And I'm always amazed how trivial things can take our heart away from the real purpose of God for us. And even though in that rebellion, when we're doing things that we know that are taking our hearts away from God, or something that has preoccupied us from being about our Father's business, we even know in our heart that it's wrong. And I wonder about the hardness of heart. I, I look in my own life at the hardness that I've, I've had in my life. Where sometimes, for some reason, I'll cop a feel against God that, that, that I, I, I'm mad at God. Because he, he didn't do something I wanted him to do. But then as I live my life out, I realize why God said no. Now maybe there will be things in my life, I'll never know this side of heaven, why God said no. Or why things went the way they did. But I know this, if you're in Jesus Christ today... God has his divine hand on you. And maybe like the people of Israel that were rebelling against God and trying to duke it out with God, God says, gee, you have little fists. No, he he looks at you and says, hey, listen, throw your frustration out, but listen, you'll come to me and you'll see why I did what I did. You know, that's what faith is. Reminds me of a story one time, I've shared this before, about two girls up to the altar at the end of a service, both crying. One crying because she didn't get Billy Bob, the other one crying because she did. Well, you know, a lot of times we don't always understand why God says no. But I know this, God knows my life better than I do. I don't know the curves and the, and the, and the, and the, and the turns ahead of me in my life, nor do you. But God does. And if you're in him today, it's going to be all right. That's the good news. If you don't know God, you're out of control. You don't know. You, no matter what decision you will make, will probably be the wrong one. Because you're operating off your own insight, your own thing. Well, people say, well, that's all you can. No, not necessarily so. That's why the Bible is different. And being a Christian is different than, and see, we don't, Christians aren't religion. Christians are a relationship with God. Religion is all that stuff we want to manufacture and do to impress God. Hey, God, aren't you impressed? God says, I'm not impressed. But a relationship with God where we become his child. And and by the way, if any of you have kids here, you know, you want to do the best for your kids you can. You want to protect them. You know, yeah, they get it. And kids do goofy stuff. Have you ever noticed how goofy kids are? They, they're, they're, they, they, the way they think. My son, we were in Hawaii. He goes, I am not going back. I'm going to stay here. And how are you going to live in the jungle? How are you going to live here? He goes, I'm going to be a little person. I'm going to wear a little tie. I don't know why he said, I want to wear a little tie. He said, I want to wear a little tie. And I'll just pretend I'm a little person. I'm a big person in a little person's body. And I am amazed how they think. When they get out of the car, they're running the street. You've got to grab them. You've got to lasso them. Moms and dads, amen. There's a lot of dangers. 
God calls us his children. Do you know why? Because I can run out inside, outside. I can run in front of something fast moving that'll kill me, that looked like a good deal, it wasn't. You got a God in heaven that loves you. God knows more about the future than you do. He wants to help you identify the time that you're in. So unlike the people of Israel, the time of their visitation, they missed it. God wants you to know what's going on. He wept over the city. He cried over them. It's your day of salvation. What you've waited for ever since the beginning. Now it's your day. And they missed it. I wonder sometimes, even in my own life, how many opportunities I've missed. Things that I, I, I if I would have just done, I, God, it, but God, it didn't, I, I, it was uncomfortable. I didn't like what you were doing, so I did my own thing. God's saying, listen, just come back. You know, God is the great restorer. Remember, he's bigger than the things that you've done wrong. And a lot of times we think, oh, I've wrecked my life too bad. Oh, no, you haven't. See, that's one of the great things about God. God is the master repairman. And you need that in your life. I need that in my life. God will repair you. He'll fix you. He'll restore you. These are all things that God does. Letting him do that. You know, he knew... And he said, it's hid from your eyes. Why was it hid from their eyes? Because the people didn't know God. It was their day of salvation. It was their day of being a king. It was hid from their eyes. Now, no one knew it was hid from their eyes, but Jesus did. Because they were all crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what the people were saying. But Jesus knew there was something deeply wrong with the nation of Israel. So what does Jesus do? Now, as he comes in as their king, Jesus comes into Jerusalem as their king. The first place he goes is he goes up to Herod's palace, knocks on the door, opens the door up. They grab Herod. They take, they wrap him up. They, they catapult him into the Sea of Galilee and he drowns. That meant a good story, wouldn't it? The first place Jesus goes is into the temple. Why? Because he knew the nation of Israel's problem was spiritual. Friends, do we realize that as well? That humankind, their problem is spiritual. That's why Paul says, we battle not against things we see, but, but against spiritual wickedness and principalities in, in high places. So Jesus goes into the temple. Now, what happens when he goes into the temple? Well, verse 45 He went into the temple and began to drive out all those who bought and sold in it, saying, it is written, you've made my house, my house should be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. Um, They were buying and selling in the temple. You know, in order to bring a sacrifice, it had to be without spot or blemish. They had a little business going, the Pharisees did, and they'd go, oh, look at this little spot here on this lamb. Oh, this is rejected. You've got to buy one of our certified ones. And they had a business going. People from foreign lands would come and they would want to make a donation to the church, to the temple. And they say, oh, sorry, we only take 
righteous money. We take the Hebrew shekel, not those not the filthy lucre uh, uh, denarii of, of the Roman government. You can go, though, to a money changer, which they happen to operate the exchanger, and you can have your dirty, worldly money converted into holy shekels in which then you can contribute. So they were making money there. It was, it was a scam. Do you see that today? Sometimes Christian television, Christian radio, man, it just, I just, somebody asked me years ago, they said, why did you start a Christian radio network? And I said, I hated Christian radio. Because it was scam. <laughs> and you see it all the time. For just twenty nine ninety five. Yeah, that's right, friends. Call in right now and we'll send you a, a miracle wallet guaranteed to always be full of money. That's right. And if you expand in the next 15 seconds, we'll send you two miracle wallets. What? All the stuff, the sham that goes on. It was going on then, friends. People just wanted to get right with God and they wouldn't take their money because it was Roman denarii instead of a Hebrew shekel. So the money changers were operating. Jesus goes in and he turns the table of the money changers over. And screams, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. By the way, people say, where in the Bible does it say Jesus is God? Well, here's a good place for it. It is written, my house is a house of prayer. Jesus is claiming to be the owner of the temple, kind of, sort of, you know. My house shall be called a house. You made it a den of thieves. And he turns the table of the money changers over. See, Jesus realized the problem with the nation of Israel, wasn't their government, it was their spiritual condition. And the first place he goes is into the temple to correct that. Once he cleansed the temple, notice the next verse. And he was teaching daily in the temple. Isn't that something? The people then came in and began to hear God's word being spoken. You know, the word of God, the Bible says, is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. It isn't a bunch of just ink on paper and uh, doldrum. By the way, I, I believe the word of God, without being anointed by the Holy Spirit, is kind of boring, like reading a phone book. But I believe when you take that invisible Holy Spirit and he energizes his word, that same Holy Spirit that wrote it, energize it, becomes alive and goes into our heart. We go, oh, wow, I get it now. I understand. So when God says, I'll supply all your needs according to your riches and glory, God's going to supply what I need. I don't have to steal anymore. Whoa. I don't have to want what somebody else has because God's going to give me what I need according to his riches and glory. Friends, all of a sudden, the word of God becomes alive. It's not just ink on paper. It's the very voice of God. Do you know the Hebrews, when those that really love God, believe that the word of God was alive. And just because it doesn't have blood and corpuscles and veins, doesn't mean it wasn't just alive. And what it would do in your heart, and why when you can read the Bible one day, and go back and read the same passage the next day, and it will speak to you in a different way. That is the life, the Word of God, coming alive in your heart. And that's what God does. 
It's not a dead religion relationship. It's a live relationship with a daddy in heaven that loves you, that wants to fix your life. You know, he goes on and he says, and we'll, we'll close with this. The chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. And when they were able, unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. You see, there's always going to be an undercurrent against what God wants to do in your life. There always is. This side of heaven, you're always going to find it. Why? Because we have a real, genuine enemy in doing what God has called us to do. Now, some people say, well, I'm a Christian. The devil never attacks me. You must not be much of a threat against the kingdom of darkness then. Because I can guarantee you, you become alive in Christ. The devil will do everything he can do to kill you. That's why we need the protection of God in our life. That's why we need the protection of the Holy Spirit to keep us and guide us and give us insight of what's going to happen tomorrow. Friends, you have a real God in a real heaven that really loves you. And friends, understand that God will never leave you or forsake you, not even into the end of the age. And when we understand that Jesus knows what the real issue is, you know, I don't always know what the real issue is in my life. You ever notice that? You ever go to bed at night and you lay there on your head on the pillow and you got all these thoughts going through your head and, and, and you're trying to almost, you almost want to just kind of slowly ratchet down. Okay, God, why am I all angst up? What's really causing me to be all pins and needles? And then God will begin to slowly go through and sort these things out in your life. The Bible said he's called wonderful counselor. Oh man, I need to be counseled. You need to be counseled. Do you know prayer is not just me telling God a bunch of stuff he already knows? I've shared this before. I was raised in church. Some of you were raised in the bars. I bet you my stories are as weird as yours. And I remember one night in a church down in Southern California. It was a Wednesday night. It was a prayer meeting night. And I remember uh, it was people were kind of praying out loud at different times. And this woman said this. And it bless her heart. She wasn't trying to be weird. But when you listen, if, if we listen to ourselves, we'll tell ourselves what's wrong. She said, oh, God, did you see the six o'clock news tonight? God goes, no, I didn't see it at all. Because evidently she didn't think he did. Because she told him it. Oh, God, this thing going on and on. It went on and on and on about this issue. And, and God goes, I know. I think a lot of times we're the ones that don't know. Now, I don't think it's wrong to tell God things that are on our heart. Don't misunderstand me. But I want to pray when I pray, God, you settle my heart. You know the issues. I'll tell you, if every, anybody in here is not a little concerned with what's going on in the world right now, um, I, I think because I look at it not in fear, but I look, God, how can I reach these people for Jesus? They're dying. When you see what's going on, the atrocities that are happening, not just there, but around the world, God, how can I reach these people? You know, that's one of the things I think years ago that motivated me into getting into radio because there's so many people. How do I reach them? Um, 
and radios in everybody's cars and their homes and things like that. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good thing. But you know, one of the things that's most important is a radio and a transistor will never take the place of you. You see, you're valuable to God in that you bring a personal in-body message to somebody else. And I really want to just encourage everybody here that's a Christian this morning. Today is this thy day. It's your day of salvation. And tomorrow is this thy day, your day of salvation. It is your day to operate in the power of God every day. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I got some really good news for you. You can quit wasting your life. Isn't that great? You don't have to waste your life anymore. I remember years ago, a friend of mine, he was a partier. He was an acquaintance, not a buddy, but acquaintance. And I always talked to him about the Lord. And he finally accepted the Lord. But he said, one of the things he said to me, he said, I knew I was in trouble because I went to a party and I had to ask my friends if I had a good time. And I thought, that is crazy. Where you're so disjointed from even yourself, you don't know what you're doing. It was his day of salvation. The Lord talked to him and the Lord spoke to him and he gave his life to Christ. Friends, see, the thing is, you can stop wasting your life. You can lay for yourself up treasure in heaven. You can be about your father's business. All the excuses that we want to offer God aren't going to mean anything on judgment day. What makes the difference is God, I want to do your will today. What do you want me to do? You know, we always picture God making, I'm going to send you to deepest, darkest Africa. You know, know, God might send you to Hawaii. And when it's 20 degrees outside, that's not bad. But what I'm saying is God will do things in your life for you, not only to advance his kingdom, but to bless you. Remember, God's a good God. He cares about every aspect of your life. And you say, well, if God cares so much about me, why am I in this mess? I don't know, but I can tell you this. He's the answer to it. And he'll see you through it. Without faith... It's impossible to please God. So God, I don't understand why I'm in this, but I'm going to trust you to get me through. Do you realize God uses those things to minister to other people? God uses those things to move you into places you would never be otherwise. Jesus knew the problem of the Jewish nation was spiritual. It was their day of salvation They missed really who he was. But that didn't stop him in doing what he knew he had to do. He operated as if he was their king that day and went right into the temple, cleared the money changers, and taught the people. You know, that's what God wants. Out with the old, in with the new. A lot of us make New Year's resolutions, and by this time, usually, they're all forgotten. But actually, you could actually have a new resolution right now in your life. If you're not a Christian, from this day forward, I'm going to serve God. You see, Jesus did something for you you could never do in yourself. He'll forgive your sins. You won't have to go home from partying and try to wash that feeling off anymore. Because, see, God will redirect your life so you're not 
You won't be where you're not supposed to be. God's a good God. Let him bless you this morning. If you're not a Christian, and you know everything I'm telling you is true. I I don't even have to try to convince you because the Holy Spirit's already told you, yes, this is what you need. If you want to say yes to God, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask the Lord to come into your life and forgive your sins. And, And from this day forward, change your life and put in your life what belongs and Thank the Lord he takes out of our life the things that don't. Time wasters. Let him do that for you. So if you've never prayed, if you don't want another 10 years like you just had, if you want God to forgive your sins, that's why Jesus died on the cross, to take away your sins. We're going to pray right now. You can ask Christ to come into your life, and the Bible says you'll be a brand new person. And the Bible says if we do sin, in the book of John, 1 John, he, Jesus is our advocate with the Father. He's, an, our, he's our attorney that pleads our case. And if we, if we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, listen, it's a, it's a win deal. If you're operating with the baggage of yesterday and before and before, maybe for 20, 30, 50 years, you're never going to function right. You've got to get free of that angst in your life and let God's peace come in. You know, Jesus said, and I just want to read this one more thing. If you had only known, even you, especially in this thy day, the things that make or belong to your peace. You know, God's got peace for you. Rest. If you need that rest, let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. From this day forward, I want to live for you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and his blood covered my sins. I believe Jesus raised from the dead to give me life eternally with you. So from this day forward, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God. Take away my past and give me a brand new start with you every day. And thank you for eternal life and writing my name in your book of life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, welcome to God's family. For you that are Christians, I want to just encourage you. Hey, you're God's treasure, man. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said, behold, I come as a thief. Do you know what thieves take? Valuable. They don't take your floor mats. They don't take your dirty laundry. They don't take your garbage. They take what's valuable. Jesus, interesting, the Bible says he's coming as a thief. What is he taking? The Bible tells us, you, you're valuable to God. He's not coming for the gold. He's not coming for the silver. He's coming for you because you're valuable. I believe, we're going to talk about more about this next week. I believe that Jesus is on the verge of taking his church home. Then when the church is out of the way, We're in heaven. God deals with this last 
final seven-week period of time, seven years of the, to the nation of Israel. He judges the world for their ungodliness and deals with the nation of Israel that last final seven-year period of time. Friends, I believe it's getting real close. Jesus said, when you begin to see these things in Matthew chapter 24, look up, your redemption draws nigh. I believe Jesus is coming as a thief one of these days, real soon, to take us with him. And I don't want one person to show up at this door the Sunday after the rapture saying, I didn't know. Everybody needs to know. The Bible says that we would adore his coming. Not be scared of it, but we'd say, all right, you can open the door quickly. Let God bless you. Be those hands for God. Be those feet for God. And again, let your light shine. As the world gets darker, you're going to shine brighter just the way it works. Father, for each person here today, Lord, those that said yes to you, I pray you just anoint them. You pour your bucket of golden love all over them and let them know, God, their past is forgiven. And they have a brand new start this day in you. So may your Holy Spirit now guide the rest of us, all of us, this week. May we be about your business. May you show us your very best. Cause us to notice things, God, out of place where you would use us to minister. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.